Thanks for tuning in to The Big Idea with Michael Anderson. Today we have a wonderful show. We have Kat Martin, an author, and also LJ Martin, an author. New York Times bestsellers, self-publishers, and working for publishers. It's going to be a great show. We hope to make the next 30 minutes a very good investment of your time. Today's show is brought to you by GEICO Local Office, car and homeowner's insurance for the 805. You could save up to 15%. Call Greg Mock of GEICO Local Office, 805 487 7847. Well, I'm excited to have two authors in studio today. We have L.J. Martin. He's written over 50 fictional and nonfiction books, a lot of westerns, uh, but a lot of wonderful books. He's going to talk about publishing, being a writer, the new things that you need to know about that. And also, we have Kat Martin in studio, New York Times bestselling author. She has over 17 million copies of her books in print across a number of different countries. Catmartin.com is her website, and she has a book that just came out, which is called The Conspiracy came out recently, and uh, and I'm very excited to have her in studio as well. So Kat and LJ, thank you for being here. Thank you for thank having you us. Thank you for having us. I want to talk to you first about the idea of being an author. How is it, if someone's sitting out there listening saying, you know, I've always wanted to write a book, how do they do that? Is it easier today or harder today than it is 20 years ago? It's the same today, I think. Kat, yeah, I think the writing's know, gotta, the same. You got to put your backside on the chair in front of the uh, in front of the word processor and and bang away. Two, all you got to do is two pages a day, and in six months you got a book. I like that. They make it sound so attainable. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you can do it. The first and actually they say everybody has one book in them, but the trick is when you've written 50 like he has or 70 like I have. You know, it's making yourself do it every day. It becomes a job, but it's an intriguing job. So after you've written the book, let's say you put the work in, you do your two pages a day. Six months later, you say, I've got this body of work here. I think it's fantastic. But sometimes you're in an echo chamber. It's like you, you, haven't, you haven't been able to find anyone to actually read it or validate it or edit it. You know, your spouse isn't the best person. How, where do you go from there? Well, in that, our case, our spouse may be the best person, <laughs> but in most cases, it's not. Your mother is always going to tell you how much she loves your book. Mine That's didn't. the wrong one. Yeah. <laughs> Mine. <but most laughs> Hers people, was tougher. Yeah, my mom was tough. But then you got to uh, then you got to get it in front of a publisher, or you got to self-publish. One of the two. One of the things you can do is go to conferences. I, I we, both of us are really big on that, and that's how we got published originally. We went to conferences. We went to Fresno. Went to Santa Barbara Writers Conference. It's a fantastic, amazing conference. They still have it every year. You got to invest in yourself. Yeah. That's a, an important theme. I love that theme of investing in yourself, mm-hmm. putting you know some, some dollars and some time into trying to hone your skills to right. do something objectively that you may have always wanted to do. It's a craft. You know, I mean, it's just, if you're going to be a plasterer or a carpenter or whatever it is, got to learn your craft. And uh, you got to be able to keep people reading. Yeah, you got to write compelling stuff so they don't set it down and throw it in the corner. And it's got to be interesting. It's got to be exciting in it. our case. Yeah, you can learn a lot of it. And that's those conferences and that are places you can actually go and a lot of them teach you they actually teach you how to write as far as um doing this as a profession would someone start and have it be their full-time job or would it kind of be a a side job side hustle as the term that people use nowadays and then eventually evolve into earning more income from it seven years before we made about five but it was really (laughs) grueling we we lost all our money because we once we made up our mind we were really going to do it then we were determined because we were in real estate be first first so we you know you had that mentality 
you're going to do it, you're going to do it no matter what. Which was helpful because we were used to working for a, on a commission, not getting a, yeah. a check every month. And, and working without anyone telling you to. You have a lot of self-discipline. you got to get so up in the morning going. and go to work. But we, we ran up our credit cards. I mean, we had we were totally – when we started actually making money, we were just down to the absolute dregs. You know, dregs. And then we started <laughs> to go back up, and we kept at it and kept at it, and finally it was, became and a big decision. And it's paid yeah, it's paid off, but I don't think it pays off for most people, truthfully. A real American yeah. dream story, it sounds yeah. like that. I, I speak to a lot of young people about writing, and I've used to give a lot of talks. And the first thing I tell them, most important thing you can do if you want to be a writer, marry rich. Which neither of us did. <laughs> but or, or have a partner that provides a good, stable a income, you yeah. and he you can take some me. risks. Yeah. He did help me the first because yeah, he was he kept working all the time and, and writing part-time and I got to the point where I just wrote all the time and and that was really helped me get a, a jump on everything you know we're talking with Kat Martin New York Times best-selling author she's written over 70 books and has 17 million copies in print also talking with LJ Martin he's written over 50 books and he likes writing westerns he has a, a book coming out soon it's called 2000 grueling miles it's about the Oregon Trail tell us about this book well, it's about it's really the first young-oriented book that I've done. It's got, uh, the protagonist is 15 years old, and it's a kind of a coming-of-age story. and And I wrote it really to tell uh, things are pretty easy these days. They weren't then. I mean, when you set out with everything you own in a wagon with uh, pulled by six oxen. And uh, you don't know where your next meal is coming from from time to time or where, the, where you're going to find water or where you're going to find graze for your animals. And, uh, and plus there were a lot of exciting things happened on that trail. There, uh, actually, every mile of the 2,000 miles averaged 11 graves. Wow. So, I mean, it was an astounding time. What time period was this set in? Uh, this one is 1851, but... Uh, 300,000 people or something crossed that trail in a, in a matter of 10 years. It was, a, it was a huge migration of people. It's a fascinating thing. As you're mentioning the book and the trail, the Oregon Trail, it makes me think about a previous interview we had on this station a number of weeks back. We had an economist on. He talked about the net migration out of California how there's 138,000 people <laughs> leaving California last year for various reasons, but some of them economic, many of them probably economic. New um, York, New Jersey, New, New York, New Jersey, and California, they're flocking out of all three states. Right, heading to Oregon, heading to Arizona, heading... Florida, the biggest one. In Florida from the East Coast. Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating. Well, how do you come up with the stories? How do you find storylines that you can write about? And where? And let, me, let me go to Kat on this one. I mean, you've written mm. so many books. How do you find the the story? I you know I think for me it's like it's it's movies, newspapers, uh, t TV shows, uh, but they're not like instant. In other words, I'm watching a TV show, might not think of it for a year. All of a sudden, something will connect me in my head. I think I remember watching something about that. It might make a good good uh, book. And so it's it's sort of like always around you. It's just everywhere you are, really. Every day the news. I mean, yeah, you, every day you, the news. Uh, for modern stuff. And, and in no, my case, if I'm doing historicals, I write. I read a lot of journals and a lot of uh, uh, history and biographies, autobiographies. One of my books is based on Edward Fitzgerald Beale, The Early Life of Beale, who is Tohon Ranch. And uh, was the most exciting guy to ever come out of the West and, and was really unsung. Uh, what was the name of that book? That book is Rush to Destiny. 
I was actually invited to the ranch on their 200th anniversary to speak to them, which was a great compliment. The Tejon Ranch is a great place. It's up uh, here in Southern California. If you're going along the five freeway, kind of from Southern California, heading up the Central Valley into Northern California along the five freeway, you kind of pass right through. It's on in, in LA and, and Kern County, 270,000 acres, the largest single land ownership in California now. And I've taken a tour out at Tejon Ranch, and, and it's a fascinating place. On the tour, the thing they mentioned was it's like an amalgamation of all these different environments. There's like five different. You have the yeah. desert, you have the ocean, yeah. the Mediterranean, the mountain range. The You have so many different places that come together in this one space. And so there's so much history. It's really a fascinating place. Huge her- herd get, of elk, by the way, there. Yeah, did you get to the fort? Fort. I did not get to the fort. Because that's yeah. where Beale was. He was at Fort at the uh, Tone Fort Tone which is right there on the ranch. Interesting. Well, it's actually across the, st- across the highway from the ranch, but it's... From headquarters. Yeah, it, it, and, and the first wagon road to California was built by Beale in the Great Camel Expedition and ended up at Fort Tejon. We're talking with Cap Martin and L.J. Martin. We're talking about writing books, becoming a writer. It's a craft. It's a skill. It's like a muscle that you develop better. The more you work it, the better you get at it, and the stronger you become. Talk to us, Kat, about the difference with writing now. There's something where editors essentially yeah. are reading your books to see if they, yeah. if it's, tell, tell us about well, this, they, the sensitivity. They, they are getting, at the moment, I honestly think it's kind of a fad, I hope, really. But, you know, they worry about, they have these things called sensitivity readers. And I've been at this so long, they really pretty much leave me alone. But they, they actually have people read it. They'll have up to three or four people read a book and see if there's any lines in it that, that bother anyone. I mean, can you, you have to be careful how you say it. I mean, you can't just write today. You have to be conscious of all these politically correct things. And I, I honestly don't think it's a good thing for writers because our job is really to paint a picture. It's not a good thing for readers. It's not a good thing for anybody, really. And hopefully it'll kind of mellow out and, you know, get back to normal. But they, they want, they just want to be a little bit too, they just, they're so afraid someone's going to sue them or someone's going to say something and cause you a problem. And, you know, really, I'm lucky I haven't had much trouble with it. So. And how long has that been going on where you have editors essentially? It's not an editor. It's a reader. And they, they kind of, the editor gives this reader, this person, any person they want to give it to. And they actually, it's actually so strange. It's hard for me to even, you know, <laughs> I don't even understand it myself. But, yeah, they give it to this reader. They actually and they hire they, sensitivity yes, readers. To, to make sure the book is sensitive. The to, publishing to, company yeah. will hire someone but to read. The theme that we difficult. see more and more now, there is sensitivity out there and and uh but uh, you know there's a line that becomes difficult to draw at some point that's a very challenging thing i mean so it changes the content of the book right i write romantic thrillers so there's romance in them and because of the me too movement that's where it comes in for me see then i have to make sure that the man is not they actually want you to have the man ask the woman if he can kiss her and stuff like that i i just won't do it because it's just so silly i mean it just has to be natural and how you would normally be i mean i'm not going to make it up so it sounds stilted, you know. Mm. So they have they they just want to make sure that oh, you know, no one's offended and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I like I said, I've been at it so long, I get away with it. But the younger writers have m- much more trouble with it. They have to be, you know, really because they can't they can't. You chauvinist! Why why <laughs> why doesn't the woman have to ask the man if she can kiss him? Yeah, well, it's I, a true <laughs> it's a true sign of the times. There is yeah. really sensitivity is. readers really from is. publishers, and, and I don't really write anything content. that's so. I mean, I used to write, I have to say, back in the day, we did. This is, I've been writing for 30 years, so 
back in the day, I mean, we wrote, I mean, they called them bodice rippers for a reason. You know, they were, we were, you know, the guys were really aggressive. And, one of these that days, was the fashion at the time. One of these days we'll make the full circle and everybody will realize they're all Americans. Yeah. Well. We're talking with Kat Martin and L.J. Martin, uh, two authors. They've written a number of books. I want to talk with Kat about her book that recently came out. It's called The Conspiracy. Now, she's written over 70 books, and this yeah. is one that came out in January of 2019, The Conspiracy. Tell us about this book. Um, it, it was, it's just a really, it, I write really complicated books. There are a lot of action. I like action. It starts in, in Texas. It's about a, a, a company called Maximum Security, or they call them Max, and it's set around these detectives. There are detectives in there, bodyguards, and uh, what's the other one? Uh, bounty hunters in this office. And this particular guy is the owner, and he's very wealthy, and he's a detective. And they go, it goes on an adventure. It's an adventure story trying to find a lost person in the Caribbean. And, of course, we go from Texas, where the book starts out, and we end up in going to South America, and it becomes, it's got a lot of uh, crime, it's a crime family that's involved in drug smuggling, and, you know, it's a lot of action, that's like I say, they're, they're tromping through the rainforests and, uh, in Colombia, and we come back to, it's, it's high action, that's what I write, so. I want to ask, uh, as far as other authors, who are some other authors that you respect that are relevant today? that are working and relevant today yeah. that, that you think are also good at their craft. I'm Grisham. Reading, yeah, I was going to say, ba I'm reading uh, a Baldocki book that I think is really, it's fun, it's uh, good writing. It's good James Lee Burke, as far as I'm concerned, is the finest wordsmith in the business. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of good writers. Just there's Co Coben, great. Uh, Coben. You know. Those are all uh, men. There's yeah, so they're just, uh, there's so many of them out there. Well. Mary well, Higgins Clark, I've always yeah. loved, and, and uh, I read Nora uh, Roberts. I think she's a wonderful writer. She does a she has a real wide range. She can write just romance. She can write. She's writing a world apocalypse stuff right now. So she's, you know, that's why she's one of the best in the very world. Very eclectic yeah. writer. Talk to talk to our listeners about how Amazon is changing um, publishing, and it's also changing the way that authors get compensated and. How, how how does that work nowadays? What what might they not when, understand? When you when you're talking about the l number one bookseller on earth, you know that's a, that's a major change right there. I, I, mm -hmm. uh, he, right now, I can make as much money on a two dollar and ninety nine cent book as I used to make on a nine dollar and ninety five cent book because of the, the their pay structure. Uh, digital, he's talking about. Yeah, digital on, on digi on a digital book. If you sell a digital book, which costs nothing to produce. Roughly. Okay. Yeah, I mean, really. $100. It, uh, what if somebody, <laughs> it doesn't cost me anything because I do my own covers and, and the whole bit. Of, I've done 400 book covers for other people. But uh, uh, that book that sells for two ninety nine. $2 goes back to the publisher. Or if you're self-published, $2 comes back to you. So you don't have to sell as many books. Uh, but then again, you're, you're competing with six million books. So yeah. being found out there, uh, there's a lots of bestseller lists on Amazon. I've been on the top of the, of the uh, uh, classic Western bestseller list many times. But that's not like being on the New York Times like Cat is. I mean, it's a, because there's 16 or 20 lists or however many there are on Amazon. Uh, and you, what way you get there is sales. You got to get a lot of sales out there. And the way you get a lot of sales is having somebody that knows something about search engine optimization and knows how to get in front of uh, 
front of lots of folks. Social media, you know. I, I've, I, Kat and I started our web pages 25 years ago. She's got one of the most senior web pages on, uh, on the internet, which gives you some weight with Google and search engines and other things. So all that stuff helps, but it's, uh, it's a different discipline. And being a writer and being a marketer, uh, not necessarily the same thing. We luckily came out of the real estate business, so we had some sales background uh, before, which I think helped us a lot. Uh, but yeah. but mo the average person looks at that internet and is bamboozled, and you're, rightfully so. You're so right. I mean, there are so many places that you can go, and it's so difficult to be discovered and to be even discoverable. And writing a book is one craft, it's one skill, but the other one, as you mentioned, is marketing the book and selling the book. That's an entirely different skill, an entirely different craft that you have to kind of know how to do, but that's that takes a lot of work to know how to do it that. It does. Right. By the way, you can find the conspiracy at Barnes & Noble right now. So that's, <laughs> a, that's an advantage. There's a little plug right there. I like that. It Barnes & Noble. You can also go to the website you mentioned, catmartin.com is the website for Actually, that. Actually, Amazon, I just saw it. I don't know why they do this, but every once in a while they'll put a bargain price up. And apparently they put my hardcover down to $12.49. Now they'll put it down like that for a while. I have no idea why. I have no idea what. They won't have it down there long, but they have I saw it down there. I thought, well, that's a good deal. You know, it's like it's nice to be on their good side and mm -hmm. have them promote you. So. It was right next to Mitch Albrum's book. Very, yeah. So that was I, I thought there was I saw the, the really? photo of it being right next to yeah. a number of other books. Yeah, yeah, they do a good job. I mean, they do a good, great job. Amazon. How important are uh, the reviews, the Amazon reviews? I as think far they're as very they're important too. to their logarithms. You don't right now, uh, right now, I'm working on reviews for my 2,000 grueling miles. I myself have sent out to a lot of reviewers and asked them to send the review back to me so when the book hits Amazon, I can send the review back to them. They can find it easily and post it on Amazon for me. That way, I can also, if I get a bad review, I don't have to send it back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't you gotta be get careful. Bad. Yeah, yeah. No, he doesn't get bad. I got lots of, I got hundreds of five star reviews on my book, so I'm not too worried about it. But. No. He does great research for one thing, you know, and if you're good at, if you have credibility like that, well, actually, we both do. I, I, I'm going crazy with the book I'm on. I've done so much research. I'm, you wouldn't think in a romantics novel that you do, but it's massive amounts of research. That's the downside of writing. It's really a lot of research. Anybody thinks it is, and it's also uh, enjoyable in a lot <coughs> of ways. Him. I mean, for, yeah, <laughs> I, I love to read these journals and stuff, and and I guarantee you, if you make a mistake in a contemporary book or a western, you'll hear about it. I, I got a letter one time from a guy who said, "You had this cigar in this book in 1875, and it wasn't introduced until 1877." Okay, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, there's a, there's an expert on everything. Yeah. That's exciting. That is interesting <laughs> that you mentioned that. We're talking with Kat Martin and L.J. Martin. They're both authors, uh, successful authors. Um, Kat, with being a New York Times bestseller and having publishers work for you as opposed to uh, being a self-publisher at this point, how is that different? What's the difference between working for a publisher, essentially kind of a freelance, or I, I don't know how it would be if you're they're they're hiring you, they're they're yes. working as no, opposed to being you. working I, for yourself. What's right. the difference of the two? Maybe you can highlight. Well, they pay in advance. That's that's a big difference, right? And as you get up there, it's a big 
pretty big. It's a big advance. I mean, it's, it's but most people don't get that. So I've just been at it a long time. I had some pretty good success. So I'm one of the fortunate ones. So that's a good. The, but the reason they re can recover their advance is because they sell them all over the world. Number 25 one, 25 times in the New York Times bestseller list is pretty good. Well, you know what I mean. They can sell them in different countries. They, they're, they sell them in all over the countries. They get money from that, and they so they recover. But you, for you, your number one upfront money is good, and then you, but you're in the bookstores. You're in all the bookstores, the little bookstores and stuff. That's that you can't be in Barnes and Noble if you're self-published. You just can't. They're not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's so tough. <clears throat> or any of the, you know, you're not going to be in Walmart. Let's say, and that's a huge. By the way, that's the second biggest publisher. I understand. Mm. I'm not a bookseller. Larry, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Second biggest bookseller, I gather, is Walmart. So, you know, you can't be in Walmart. So th you're selling a huge amount of books in Walmart, particularly, you know, your paperbacks. Because this will come out in paperback eventually also. You know. And how, did that, how does that work, though? Will they, you know, you're going through the process of revisions and edits right. and oh, sensitivity well, readings. That's the bad and, thing. <laughs> okay. the bad. You have to put up with a lot more stuff because, you know, they want to have uh, more control over you. And that's, you know, I, I, I really write a policy. When I'm done, it's done. They, I've had many, I have one publisher that I worked with. I loved working for, for those guys, but these guys offered me more money. So but anyway, they used to, uh, they would much, much of the time send it right. They wouldn't even, she'd read it, she'd like it, she'd send it to the copy editor. She wouldn't even send it back for anything. And it was great because I really write a polished book. When I'm done, it's done, generally. But so, but now, you know, I'm hardcover and this and that. They don't, no way are they just going to let me send it on oh no they got to put their input and whatever <laughs> i'd say that but you know they have to that's you have to put up with it so that there you go and when you're a self-publisher what do you recognize as the difference the pros and cons of the self-publishing i mean you alluded to a few but well self-publishing you just don't make as much money generally and I mean, you can though, huh? I mean, oh yeah, <clears throat> some guys make a lot of money at it. But yeah. and, you know, I I went immediately into the publishing business when I saw that opportunity and published a lot of fellows that had big backlists of books that were not seen anywhere again. Yeah, see. So okay, can. I'd have uh, uh, I got friends that had three hundred books in their backlist, and and so one of them hadn't made any money in ten years. And I started republishing him again and sending big checks yeah. every month. Uh, and then I sold out of the business because I wanted to put my full time in writing. I ha have a lot more fun writing than I do marketing. But but uh, it's a, the business itself is you you got to have a polished manuscript, and and the the the, the brick and mortar yeah. publishers do that for you. You have to do it for yourself, and uh, uh, it's got to be formatted correctly. It's got to be you. You it's can't have you do, have about three misspelled <laughs> words in the, in that first page, and it, nobody's going to read any farther. They're just Plus, Amazon cast sends them back. They're pretty picky. Yeah, Amazon is getting pickier and pickier, and their their uh, uh, their auto uh, stuff is is able to look at a book and say, "Hey, there's a lot of mistakes here," and here they are. They actually point them out to you when they send them mm. back to you, so. Uh, it's good, but it's uh, but it puts a lot more responsibility on the on the individual writer. Our guest today is Cap Martin, author, and L. J. Martin, author, and you can get more information on their websites. It's capmartin.com or ljmartin.com. And Cat has the book The Conspiracy that just came out, and uh, and also L. J. has the book The Two Thousand Grueling Miles about the Oregon Trail that just came out. And that's Cat with a K. 
That's right. Thank you so much for coming on today, guys. Thanks for having us. Now it's time for the Nonprofit Spotlight with your host, Michael Anderson. Nonprofit Spotlight. Here's a local group we want you to know about, Nonprofit Spotlight. Today's Spotlight is brought to you by Era Energy, powered by safety, innovation, and community. We help keep California moving forward. Well, for today's Spotlight, we're talking with our guests, Cap Martin and LJ Martin, in studio today with us. They're going over some of the books they wrote. Well, we're talking about some nonprofits that they enjoy supporting. Cat, I want to go with you. What's a nonprofit that you for want to me, mention? For me, I, I love uh, uh, Salvation Army. They, it just seems like they appear, you, a disaster happens, and the Salvation Army's there. They, they just, they're honest people. They seem to have a real low cost uh, for their maintenance of their, of their you know, organization. And uh, I just think they do a heck of a lot of good. I know locally in Ventura, they have this thing, the eye clinic. They're providing free eye care and glasses. And, you know, so at the Salvation Wonderful. Army downtown Ventura, you can go and get a free, free glasses and a free. So people out there have that need and they're, they're trying to help fill it. And it's free. It's totally free. Um, and then also in, in East Ventura, Salvation Army has a wonderful spot where they, they do some good work. So I didn't even know great. that. And that's great to hear. Yeah. And we'll go to LJ. LJ, what's a nonprofit that's on your mind today? Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. I love them. They've protected uh, over six million acres around the, uh, the country. And every acre that's protected for an elk is protected for every other uh, wildlife uh, critter that's out there. Uh, they they uh, raise money from lots of members or hunters. You know, hunter, hunters spend huge amounts of dollars to protect those elk and provide them with uh, passageways uh, and, and they buy land they uh, they take down old fences and, and things that, that uh, uh, impair the ability of elk to get by in the wild they build uh, guzzlers and water and of course when they do that it, it, the quail love it everything everything else benefits from it too uh, the tule elk is a good example right here in California. Now there's 6,000 elk, uh, tule elk in California. Uh, they went down to 12 at one time, okay? Not all those were, this was a long time before the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation when they started being recovered by a guy by the name of Henry Miller who was a, who was a uh, cattle rancher. He actually sent his vaqueros out to rope, rope 12 elk. But uh, since that time, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has picked up the mantle and, and run with it. Yeah. Now, you dri- driving in California, you'll see the occasional herd of elk if you get out on any of the back roads. I just we went across 46 not long ago, and a quarter mile off the road is a herd of elk. Most people probably don't even notice them, but I've looked for them. That's the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. You can get more information about them online at rmef.org. Thank you very much for being on the show today, guys. Thanks for having us. That's all the time we have for today's show. Thanks for tuning in. You can check us out on iTunes. Search for The Big Idea with